Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Word of the Lord. Pray with me now, please. God, meet us this morning in this quiet moment that we've carved out of an otherwise uh, maybe turbulent week. Meet us here, um, even through the story and the address we hear from Jesus this morning. Help us to meet Jesus in a new way, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, City Church, and welcome to my home. And um, I'm just really glad to be with you. It's honestly a privilege. I mean, I mean that. It's truly a privilege to study scripture with you this morning. And right from the beginning, I want to let you in on a little secret. And maybe it's not a secret so much um, as a confession. Um, But at City Church, pastors don't usually get to pick the scriptures we're preaching on. I mean, we do sometimes if we're in a sermon series or something like that. But a lot of the year, we follow something called the Revised Common Lectionary. And you might be familiar with it. We call it the RCL for short. And it's used by thousands of churches all across the world. Um, And it maps out the Bible over a three-year period. It's great. It emphasizes liturgical seasons. I'm a big fan. I'm a big supporter of the RCL-driven sermon. But every now and then, as a preacher, you pick what I've come to call the RCL short straw. And it's happened to me a few times. But I've got to admit that last week when I realized, I looked at the RCL and I realized that this Sunday was... Jesus brings a sword and wants to turn you against your parents Sunday. Um, My heart sank a little. It sank just a little bit at first. 
um, just for a moment until I could think through it and process it and gradually began to realize how relevant and appropriate this passage might be for us this morning, for today, in our times right now. So if you had a bit of a negative reaction hearing the words that were just read, understand, like, I'm, I'm with you in that. But we're going to dig in, and I think as we go through it, we're going to make some interesting discoveries along the way. And it does get interesting right at the beginning, right at the very beginning, the very first sentence. Jesus says, nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. And the Greek word Jesus uses here is one you're probably familiar with. Uses for uncovered is apocalypse. It's apocalypse. Now, I know that when we hear that word, we tend to think, you know, zombies and The Walking Dead, or maybe if you're old school, that movie Mad Max or Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Um, And I'm sure in this last year for the year 2020, you've seen those memes floating around all over social media about how crazy this year is and how can it get any weirder or worse. And it's not just the pandemic and the quarantine, which would be enough, but it's, you know, weird and scary things like murder hornets invading the West Coast. I mean, that's a thing, murder hornets. And here in San Francisco, the last few weeks, it seems like wildlife has just determined to take back over the city. I mean, there was an actual mountain lion, like a real live mountain lion, just walking around Russian Hill on Tuesday and Wednesday, like it was no big deal. The coyotes are stepping up their game, just walking down the streets like they just live here with with the rest of us. And I even saw a news article two days ago And this isn't a joke, it's a thing, it's a real thing. A news article about alligators in Alabama potentially getting hopped up on methamphetamine due to people flushing way too many drugs down the toilet. And there's an actual warning from animal control people down there that these meth gators could exhibit unusually dangerous behavior, unusually aggressive behavior. So that's 2020 for you. And so I've I've tongue-in-cheek, kind of as a joke, but we'll see, it's a little bit serious too, kind of as a joke, entitled this sermon, How to Survive an Apocalypse. But not zombies or even scary hornets or meth gators, but how to survive, even grow, in a time of great unveiling. How to grow in a time of great unveiling, because that's what apocalypse here literally means, the way Jesus uses it. It's, It's literally to take the cover off of something hidden. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And we're certainly living, I think, and I think you would agree, in a once in a generation moment of unveiling. An era where a lot, and I mean a lot, has been hiding, a lot that has been hiding in the dark is being brought into the light, into full daylight. And it's not pleasant. It's been, it's been painful. It's actually happening at such a rate and at such a severity that it's even really hard to process. Like you have spent much of the last four months bouncing from confusion to anxiety to hypervigilance as the coronavirus grew and spread everywhere. But early in March, even as that was sort of coming at us, I was also very hopeful that this great equalizer of a dangerous infectious disease might actually bring some solidarity among a divided people. And, and there's been some of that. There's certainly been some of that at times, but the spreading virus also very quickly revealed the deep 
an insidious disease of racism that lurks in the shadows. Initially, it was focused on Asian Americans. Even here in San Francisco, many were targeted for derision, threatened, sometimes even violently assaulted. It was an apocalypse of sorts, a very ugly unveiling as our veneer, and I mean a veneer of progressive inclusion in a city, Bay Area like this, was being pulled off. And we saw that we were nowhere near as enlightened or honoring as we'd like to think. And then about six weeks ago, another curtain began to be pulled back as video after video and other accounts surfaced of brutal murders of unarmed black men and women at the hands of white vigilantes and mostly white police officers. And it has really been too much to take in when you find yourself staring at something you don't want to be true, but is undeniable. And realizing that it's only the latest unveiling of what's been going on in the dark for decades and centuries, and only because of the advent of smartphones and body cams so that what's formerly been hidden, or at least maybe was easier to ignore, is now being brought into full daylight. You know, the coronavirus on its own has been terrible. And I've lost people I care about. I know many of you have too. But I can't help but wonder if the virus and the quarantine and the unprecedented halt to normal life prepared us to slow down and to actually pay attention to the social sins and sickness that runs rampant in America today. You know, um, James Meredith is the civil rights figure who became the first African-American to attend the University of Mississippi in 1962, and only because a federal judge ordered it and only because federal marshals protected him. But James is getting older these days and reflected in this last week in an article he wrote about everything that's happened in the last few weeks. And he says, white supremacy may be the most evil beast that's ever stalked the halls of history. And today, it may be finally mortally wounded. This happened for two reasons. For the first and only time in my life, society was shut down by a pandemic, which prepared people for an explosion. And then the video of George Floyd's death was seen by countless people the world over. And without that video, white supremacy in America might have remained nearly as powerful as it's ever been for the past 500 years. So we're living in an apocalyptic moment, a unique time of unveiling. And I think all signs indicate that this season of unveiling might continue, probably is going to continue for months to come as the virus continues, as we face a superheated political season, as economic uncertainty continues, and as we confront the injustice and brokenness of our culture and our institutions and even our churches. So as a pastor and as a, as a leader in this church that I love, City Church San Francisco, I find myself really concerned for all of us, for you, for me, for our pastors and staff, for you know, our families and kids. How do we move forward? I mean, how do we live and grow together and discern our role individually and as a church in such a protracted and turbulent time? I mean, how do we, on the one hand, not miss the uniqueness of this moment and truly learn what it has to teach us, 
but also not become so overridden by anxiety and by the confusion and the grief and the guilt that accompanies every news cycle every day in a way that we become paralyzed or hyperreactive and ultimately less healthy human beings. How do we follow the Jesus way in a time of great unveiling that often feels like constant chaos? Our passage today, it's, a, it's part of a talk that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was sending, sending them out into the surrounding villages of Judea for their first crack at ministering without him. And specifically, they were being sent out to heal the sick, to free people of spiritual and psychological bondage, and importantly, to announce that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Everywhere they went, they were told by Jesus, announce that the kingdom of heaven has come near. But Jesus knows that this will be a highly disruptive. This will be highly disruptive to the entrenched spiritual and institutional powers of the day. The disciples will be accepted in some places, but treated horribly in other places. And just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, ultimately, in our passage, Jesus' point is to comfort and assure his disciples. I mean, that's what's actually going on here. If you, if you look at it, if we, if we weave into it, he's alleviating their fears by reminding them that God pays such close attention to them that God knows the numbers of hairs on each one of their heads. So don't be afraid. But Jesus also makes it clear that their announcement of this new spiritual kingdom will will reveal much about the divisions that exist in their society. And he tells them that that's okay too, because Jesus is not just about peace and love and understanding. He's come to reveal and even to sharpen the divisions that exist in society. He's come to reveal and even to sharpen the divisions that exist in society. And in our passage, it's the divisions between those who would do anything to protect the old ways of exclusionary religion rooted in scapegoating and violence and you know, assembling power and between them and between those who are open, those who are open to a radical new inbreaking of God's spirit rooted in self-giving sacrificial love. And so that's the sense in which Jesus brings a sword. It's not a sword of physical violence. It's not a sword of political or religious power. That would contradict everything else Jesus teaches. But it's a sword of truth that reveals things we might prefer to keep hidden. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this where they say, Indeed, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And it is Jesus' sword of truth that will truly divide and separate even the things we hold most sacred even the relationships we consider most fundamental, even sometimes family relationships, which in the Hebrew world, and to some extent in ours today, are still the the very foundation of organized society. In fact, the prophet Micah 
about 700 years before this, 700 years before the time Jesus is speaking, when he's describing, when Mike is describing a future messianic era, he says to expect that that age will be a time when divisions among the people would be so stark that even family members would turn against each other. And so here, Jesus is directly referring to Micah's prophecy. He's almost quoting it. The people listening to him know that he's talking about Micah's prophecy. And he's saying, in a sense, this is that time. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, yes, the world you are going out into is indeed dangerous. And the kingdom I'm announcing, the kingdom of shalom, the kingdom of wholeness for all and the kingdom of sacrificial love, it's disruptive and it's consequential. But you can go knowing that God is paying close attention to you, knowing that your souls are well grounded and safe in God and in my mission. And as I'm reflecting on that, I'm reminded, I can't help but be reminded of the words of the uh, poet Rilke, where he says, God speaks to each of us as he makes us then walks with us silently out of the night. And these are the words we deeply hear, we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me, flare up like a flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby, nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. It's interesting to me that Jesus rounds out this section, this passage with a clue that the only way, the only way to survive and grow in a moment of apocalypse of great unveiling is to take up the cross is to walk the Jesus path of sacrificial self-giving love. Because as he says, if you seek your life, you're gonna lose it. But if somehow paradoxically, if you lay down your life, you'll find it. So I wanna spend just a few minutes, our last few minutes talking about what this might look like day to day, moment by moment as we're confronted with a life that is daily asking us to manage multiple crises and asking us to make consequential decisions of how we're gonna engage the world. I mean, how do we go out into a landscape like the year 2020, and in the words of Rilke, make big shadows God can move in and face the beauty and terror that is waiting while not losing Jesus, while not losing the Jesus way. Don't let yourself lose me, God says. I think there's a pattern, a simple process for engaging a world of chaos in a contemplative and cross-shaped way, a way of laying down our lives moment by moment and being born again moment by moment. And I've been thinking a lot about it this week as, as a process, as a bit of a practice that actually might have three components to it. And each one on its own could probably be an entire sermon, but they're also simple enough to work with, simple enough to even you know, try on, to maybe, maybe write them down and maybe just try them on this week in your own life. Experiment with them. 
in your own personal life and mind. And so think of these maybe as a practice for laying down our lives in chaos. And the other side of that coin is a practice for being reborn continually in a time of chaos. First, practicing prayerful unmixed attention. Practicing prayerful unmixed attention. The second thing is allowing discomfort to give birth to deep compassion. And then finally, receiving the wisdom of heartbreak. So practicing prayerful unmixed attention, allowing discomfort to give birth to deep compassion and receiving the wisdom of heartbreak. You know, the French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil said, attention, and I gotta say, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time, all right? Attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. Absolute, unmixed attention is prayer. So it starts with paying deep, unmixed attention, which is probably the hardest thing of all to do because when we're confronted with news that scares us, news that makes us question our own participation in a broken society, part of us wants to immediately change the channel, you know, avert our eyes, avoid the issue, you know, create some cognitive space. That's understandable. And then the other part of us wants to quickly take some calculated action, you know, to get busy, to post something, maybe on social media, make a donation that seems good and helpful, to attend a protest or an event. And all of those things can be very good and very important. But the problem is when we move too fast, And when when we try to name our judgments too quickly, when we react instinctually rather than prayerfully, we're mostly attending to our own anxiety, our own guilt or our own anger. And we can be so short-circuiting, we can truly be short-circuiting the slow, long, deep work of change. And here's the thing, as we give prayerful, unmixed attention, we will become deeply uncomfortable. As we realize we don't have the answers, as we realize we've ignored the needs of others for too long, as we question our own values and our priorities, it will be painful. But if we breathe in that pain and we don't rush to solve it, we don't rush to expel it, it will push us to a deep, sense of solidarity and compassion for those who are suffering. And I'm talking about deep compassion, bodily compassion that actually changes us. And there's a great biblical word here, and it actually comes up just a few uh, verses before our section today, because there's a place where Jesus is looking out upon the crowds and the crowds who he sees as being harassed and helpless. That's the language used in the Bible, that these people, as Jesus looks at them, are harassed and helpless, and he feels compassion for them. But the Greek, the biblical word underneath that word compassion is actually this great word, a little difficult to say, splangnon, or maybe in this case, it's something like splangnizomai. But it comes from this word splangnon, which means to feel it in your guts to actually feel it in your guts. We need to allow our discomfort, we need to allow our discomfort to grow 
this kind of gut felt compassion for others, for real change to begin, we need to feel it in our bodies for it to be real, for it to really take hold. Speaking on this in, in the context of systemic racism, the Reverend Brian Massengill, who's an African-American Jesuit priest and scholar, he says, this is the deepest reason why racism is so often avoided or only dealt with in very superficial ways, because naming white supremacy makes white people uncomfortable and white comfort sets the limits of engagement. Let it be agonizing. Let it be overwhelming, because frankly, it's agonizing for me. It's overwhelming for me too. It's only when we become agonized enough, angry enough, that we begin to be invested in change. So practicing prayerful unmixed attention, allowing discomfort to give birth to deep compassion, and then finally receiving the wisdom of heartbreak. We need to allow the pain and the confusion we feel to do its work in us until deep compassion arises and our hearts break, but break not in despair, but break open to the new work God's Spirit wants to do in and through us. And so continuing with Brian Massengale, he says, there's an inner hunger. There's an inner hunger that the way the world is right now is not the way it ought to be. And quoting Albert Einstein, if we're gonna change our society, we have to change the way we think. We have to change the way we live. We need more than just a new strategic plan. It's going to demand that your heart becomes broken so that you're open to that which is beyond you. It's going to demand that your heart becomes broken so that you're open to that which is beyond you. And you know, the daily life, of taking up our cross is a life of moment by moment repentance. And we know we're on that path when we feel our hearts break open, where we can weep over our own neglect and our own failure, but not out of a sense of shame or condemnation, but in a way that opens us to the needs of the world and causes us to sink our roots deeply back into the goodness of God's spirit. Because in the end, that's all we really have. This is a process we don't want to short circuit. We don't want to short circuit this. And in a sense, our souls will not let this be short circuited because your soul, your true self has no interest, no interest in maintaining idols of control that separate you from others or separate you from the wisdom and compassion of Christ. Let me just say that again. Your soul, your true self, has no interest in maintaining idols of control that separate you from others or separate you from the wisdom and compassion of Christ. So maybe this week, ask yourself, where do you need to let your heart break? Where does your heart need to break open in deep compassion for others and to the healing work of God's spirit? Or maybe ask yourself where you need to give yourself permission to grieve. Maybe it's just simply permission to grieve all that has gone awry, all who have been hurt, and even our own complicity in the unjust systems of oppression. 
that heartbreak, that grief, contains the wisdom we need to begin anew, to be born again. I was reminded this week by a poem by the Spanish poet Antonio Machado. And so we're going to close with this. It's a poem, but, you know, it's also a bit of a parable, I think. It's, it's the kind of thing you can sit with for a while and really chew on for a while. And it illustrates the wisdom of heartbreak well. For Machado, this arose, this poem, this parable arose out of a midlife moment of deep introspection. And it's called The Wind One Brilliant Day. The wind one brilliant day called to my soul with an odor of jasmine. The wind said, in return for the odor of my jasmine, I'd like all the odor of your roses. I said, I have no roses. All the flowers in my garden are dead. The wind said, well then I'll take the withered petals and the yellow leaves and the waters of the fountain. The wind left and I wept and I said to myself, what have you done with the garden that was entrusted to you? I believe this is the wisdom of heartbreak. It's the wisdom of grief. I mean, part of it is Machado's tears. What have you done? What have you done with the garden that was entrusted to you? And yet the other part is that the wind, the spirit, still brings the jasmine regardless. And it doesn't need fine roses. It doesn't need those. It takes the withered petals and it takes the yellow leaves instead. The wind is the spirit of new creation, of regeneration and healing. And it goes with us. It goes with us on this journey. It meets us in heartbreak and grief which means in the end, we really have nothing to lose. So why not go? Let's pray. God, go with us this week. Help us to see the way we need to pick up our cross in the small decisions and in the large ones. Help us to walk alongside Jesus on the Jesus path and give us that spirit that can meet us in our grief, can meet us in our heartbreak, and lead us, lead us into regeneration, into healing, and into deep, deep compassion for others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.